I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to take his his face off. Oh, no, not the beard! A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny. Grab your saxophone, put on your tap shoes, and put on your best outfit, and come on down to Cage Old Question, where we ask, is Nicolas Cage the greatest actor alive? We're answering by watching every film he's ever made. I'm Artoon, and this is my wife-to-be, Christina. Hello! And on this show, we watch the entire film catalog of Nicolas Cage in chronological order, working our way through 40 years of cinema. Oh, as a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with any other third parties. The opinions expressed herein are strictly our own. For today's episode, we are reviewing The Cotton Club, released December 14th, 1984, directed by Francis Ford Coppola and written by Mario Puzo of Godfather, Coppola, William Kennedy, and Jim Haskins. The film stars Richard Gere as Dixie Dwyer, Gregory Hines as Sandman, Diane Lane as Vera Cicero, and Nicolas Cage as Dixie's younger brother, Vincent Mad Dog Dwyer. But it also has a tremendous supporting cast, including Lawrence Fishburne, Bob Hoskins, Lynette McKee, Tom Waits, and so many, many, many more. If you haven't seen The Cotton Club, which... You should. You should. This is this is one of the rare times I loved this movie. There so we go. I would recommend watching it if you want to pause. And then welcome back. Welcome Let's talk back. about the Cotton Club. Yeah, we got spoilers ahead. So spoilers ahead. Spoil it for us. All right. Here's, what's here's this what, movie here's about? Some, what's this movie about? <clears throat> we have got a lot of different characters whose lives all intertwine at Harlem's renowned Cotton Club. We've got horn players, dancers, bootleggers, gangsters, singers, and more. And as the Great Depression hits, guns are shot, people are moited, and we are reminded there's never a dull moment at the Cotton Club. And the show must go on. Uh, This was a fun movie. Because honestly, it felt to me like The Godfather meets Cabaret. Yes! Yeah. That's like kind of the, the duo I felt about this. Yeah. What do you feel? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful, fun. It's it's a two-hour movie that took us four hours to watch. Well, it did because we watched it on Plex. <laughs> uh, it's not available anywhere currently other than Plex. I couldn't get it on Prime Video. Oh. And we also, let me say right now, we watched the Encore cut, which is the Francis Ford Coppola uh, director's cut, which, Steen... You want to talk a little bit about that? Um, just just that there was a really rocky road to get through this film, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola eventually regained control over the footage, and he did a second premiere at Telluride in mm-hmm. 2017, um, and then Lionsgate then picked up the rights to distribute it, redistribute it in 2019. So shout out Lionsgate for doing a great job, in my opinion, of picking up go. a really great work of art. Yeah, Christina's Christina's petitioning the Criterion uh, to get this yeah. to get this Criterion. I sent them a quick email begging <laughs> them to add it on there. Um, I think this movie also it's I mean it's about so much. It's about dancing. It's about racism. It's about like the clubs and how black people were revered as performers and ostracized as like revered. They revered? were revered, or were they revered? 
What did I say? You said revered. <laughs> I guess they were revered as performers <laughs> and then ostracized from like entering the club. Yeah, so the Cotton Club um, is a club, you were sort of saying this, but it's, it is almost exclusively colored performers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, people of color are the wait staff as mm-hmm. well and the bouncers. Mm-hmm. But the uh, guests, it's an exclusively white only club mm-hmm. for people to come to. And so the movie opens with the, he's, the black bouncer is turning away a woman for looking color. The guy, yeah. the guy she's with is like, no, she's white. She's just Spanish. And he goes, don't they have colored people in Spain? And they like turn her away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a later scene where a white woman is going in and they're like, they don't love black people in here. And she says, they're not allowed in their own club. And I think then it's when Nicolas Cage clarifies like, no, it's owned by a white man. It's a, a, a white man owns it. And it's very much in the spirit that continues today of like white owners of black art. Yeah. And that the, the best that the Cotton Club has to offer is presenting itself as a center for like, black culture and art while simultaneously gatekeeping it away mm-hmm. from black people from yeah. having free participation tough tough and then there's i mean there's so there's like all the tensions and horrors of that but it's also mixed in with like these beautiful beautiful dance numbers and song oh and God. performances performances not only on the stage within the movie but also performances of the cast in the movie just spectacular and then you also have all the violence of the gangster life and the gangster plot lines and having those be woven between so you're getting the this full spectrum i think of what violence means yeah because yeah yeah like systemic violence as well as like Mm. physical violence because Mm -hmm. interpersonal to yeah, yeah yeah i mean we have a scene where like they are inviting so richard Gere plays a trumpet player or no, he, no, it? he plays a cornet player. A cornet, he's a he's a cornet player, and he actually plays his own cornet here, and he does a great job. Yeah, he's 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 unbelievable. He sings, he plays the piano, he's, he, he looks plays great. the cornet. He's... Um, it's I'm a little I'm a little affronted that you called it the trumpet because uh, <laughs> it is distinctly the cornet. In the opening credits, it's like Richard Gere on the cornet, cornet solo, and it's also because. In the 1920s is when the trumpet is coming in and phasing out the cornet. So it's offensive to me that you're like, oh, the cornet. Because it's like, no, actually, we're having this, like, cool movie that is taking place across the 20s and showing the different tensions between transitioning the past out and having the present come in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the cornet and the trumpet have that same relationship as well in the 20s. Wow. Well, look at that. Well... So he's playing the cornet. And he's, he's ripping it he's on that cornet. He's ripping it on that cornet. He's, I believe at some point, the only white man to play mm-hmm. with the black band at the yeah. Cotton Club. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, big ups big ups to him. He's yeah. he's he's saving jazz in the 20s, unlike Ryan Gosling saving it in La La He's participating in jazz. He's not saving it. Well, he didn't That's need saving it in the 20s. It yeah, was, yeah, that yeah. was the height of jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk to me. I'm constantly <laughs> saving jazz. What a um, nightmare. But, uh, but I, I don't think he ends... I didn't remember... I feel like he does, performs once at the Cotton Club. He, he performs once at the Cotton mm. Club. But he... What he does is he catches the eye mm-hmm. of the Dutchman, who is mm-hmm. the main bootlegging mafioso who kind of runs this town. He's unstable. He's violent. And I didn't realize... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I didn't, I didn't totally understand who was in what factions. Because the movie throughout is like... I mean, they're using racial slurs, but they're talking about black people, Jewish people, Irish people, 
a little bit the Italians, but the Dutchman is the Jewish um, gangster. Yes. Uh, I don't know, mob boss. Yeah. And then the owner of the Cotton Club is the Irish yes. mob boss. And so there's a bit of working together with them. Uh, so they're trying to band together because, like, they're they're at a point where they're like the cops are going to come in and ruin our business. So we all need to shake hands, band together. Keep yeah, those because, pigs out of our exactly because beforehand between profits. some of the factions, like there was a bomb thrown, they're trying to get a deal oh, together. So, so the owner of the Cotton Club tries to get a deal together with these two people, and within that, within minutes, the Dutchman stabs this man in the neck. Well, because he was <laughs> he was saying they they've they've reached a deal, they've shaken hands, they're gonna go eat, and then the the guy that the Dutchman kills will not stop talking about. The Jews and the black people are just as bad as each other, and mm-hmm. like you, like he. I mean, he's saying this incredibly saying offensive stuff, horrific things, horrific stuff. And then the Dutchman, who is no like bastion of moral righteousness Certainly himself, not. but I mean, it's my, it's one of my favorite murders I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. He takes <laughs> one of the longest knives I've ever seen. It's, it's a, a carving, carving knife. knife. Carving knife, rams it through this guy's throat. Takes him all the way down to the table, breaks the table. The food comes piling down on top of them. This is also There's the best food the best, in the city. The best food in the city, because this is what the bootleggers are bringing in. And then he's covered in blood. And then there's so much blood spray that blood gets up on the chandelier and it drips down on Diane Lane's face. And she's got this beautiful big drop of blood going down her stunning like smoky eye pale little face and her red lipstick um and it's it's just all like so fast paced clipping along so dramatic moves right into the next scene where Richard Gere is like oh my god and Diane Lane is like I am hungry let's get a snack well it's the it does seem here's here's the main difference between these two lovebirds because mm-hmm. the entire throughout this entire movie there's this like romantic tension between Diane Lane and Richard Gere between It's Dick. like love at first sight. It it is pretty much love at first sight and he takes her to bed when she's really drunk and you know what he does, fellas? Tucks her in. He tucks her in and he sleeps on the couch because They're giggling he's taking off her clothes and they're giggling so much and they have this beautiful like sensual look and then and then he tucks her in it's great it's so it's nice, so nice. That it's so actually, nice that's how you treat that's how you treat a woman and that's one of my favorite things throughout this movie is like of the i think it's like three sex scenes but like almost every sex scene people are laughing and giggling yeah. like there's a lot of giggling yeah. which i was like this is so nice it's nice it's so so i think true to life but really sure uh and and the, throughout the whole thing, Richard Gere wants to get out of this world. He can't handle it. He yeah. can't handle he the mafia. He didn't even want to really get in. He gets he gets pulled in to like do a piano gig. Yeah, and then, and then that's, he's like, this he's is suddenly too driving much. people around. Yeah. He's he's getting involved, and this is the the door for his brother to get involved. Oh. And his brother, he's here for it, and that is Nicholas Cage, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Mad Dog, Mad Dog, Mad Dog, uh, Vinny. Mad Dog, Mad Dog, and he he goes on from. Doing a couple of shoot-ups to, at some point, being a baby killer. and it, Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> he's he's not himself a baby killer. He is associated with baby killers. He's called the baby killer. He, he, gets, he gets the label as the baby killer, yes. but that's not fair. We watched the movie, Artoon. We saw yes, but, him. Not. But he doesn't seem that upset about no, it. No, no, no. He's a monster, <laughs> but he. I'm just saying. Yeah. 
Yeah, he goes, if you're wondering if this is one of those movies where, like, is Nicolas Cage full tilt boogie? He's kind of full tilt boogie by the end of this movie. Oh, you thought so. At the end when he's laughing and screaming in the hotel room. When he when so when when he's labeled the baby killer and he is the most hated man since John Wilkes mm-hmm. Booth, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they he's kidnapped Frenchie, who mm-hmm. is the Cotton Club's owner's like left hand man or so right hand man, excuse me. So good. And to get him back, the only person he trusts to make the cash drop is Richard Gere, his mm-hmm. brother. And so he goes. He goes to him, and they're talking. And Nicholas Cage seems completely unhinged. He doesn't seem at all remorseful he's like look at all these guns i don't agree i don't agree okay i I don't agree i i think i think um i think he is way more unhinged in earlier movies i think that this is a movie where we're starting to see him transition into having a little bit more control over the instrument of his body i would say but Mm. he's still what i what i was thinking about comparing like young nicholas cage is so beautiful He's so muscly. His eyes are enormous and wet and his skin is dewy and taunt and like he is has a lot to work with, but he doesn't have a lot of control Mm. versus later on, I feel like having started with unbearable weight of massive talent, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, his his instrument is weathered, has been through the sands of time, but he has so much control and has so much more tightly coiled, I think, his energy and is able to distribute it i felt like that was happening more in this movie but still he's still like when you were describing that he's still trying stuff Mm -hmm. and wiggling around i thought i think that that is carrying over when i say unhinged are you thinking like the actor or the character i thought both i understood i i i i I just thought both i think he's played a lot of crazy characters Mm -hmm. that we've seen so i thought both where i was like both the character and his performance. I'm, I'm like, haven't we seen crazier? But um, I did still think he was being crazy. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to. I don't wanna, yeah, I'm not trying to tell you. He's still being insane. But you were like, he doesn't seem to care. He, he in that scene, he yells, "I'm a tough guy now," and then he also <laughs> yells, "Does everybody hate me?" So, <laughs> so I think he's still. I think he's actually quite worried about being the baby killer, and he wants to be the tough guy, but he also wants to be liked still. Uh-huh. I think he is worried about that, but I think he is crazy. Because then I think I think you're trying to build up to when when Frenchie's about to leave. He hasn't actually hurt Frenchie. Maybe has been roughed up a little, but he doesn't uh-huh. look hurt. And that's part of the deal is that Frenchie doesn't get hurt. Yeah. Nicholas Cage is about to let him go, and he says, "Yeah." And you tell him we didn't hurt you. And he, like a muscly cobra, <laughs> lashes out. And slices Frenchie's ear in the side of his face with it looks like it's the blade he was using to shave his own yeah, face. Yeah, and it's it's, it's shocking. It's, it's, yeah. It is gruesome and yeah. astonishing. But it's also I still felt like there was a level of control of like he lashes out, does the swipe, and then he's standing right there just next to him, just calmly talking again. Like that's the Nicolas Cage I like, where he's like calmly furiously he can go from zero to a hundred back yeah. to yeah 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 oh he definitely can he definitely can i also so this the scene we're talking about now leads up to maybe one of my favorite scenes in the movie because oh, frenchie so and good. the owner of the cotton club oni oni madden oni madden which i through the whole movie i thought they were calling him only man i thought, <laughs> I thought they were like that's only man and i was like oh <laughs> it's, it's only madden mm-hmm. and they get they get back together and 
Frenchie is like he's fuming. He's fuming. He's like, you only paid five hundred dollars for me, and you and he breaks his stopwatch, and not yeah. his. He breaks a Oni Madden stopwatch. Yeah. And then he goes. It's his, it's his, it's his wristwatch. He's like, what time did they take yeah. me? He's like, let yeah. me see, let me see. And then he, he puts it on the table. He's mad. He's like, you only paid five hundred dollars for me. And then he goes, I paid fifty thousand dollars for you. I paid five hundred thousand dollars for you. And he, I'm sorry, that was difficult to understand. I think hey. he paid fifty grand, 50. and he says he paid fifty grand. And he says I would have paid five hundred thousand yes. for you to come back safe. And then Frenchie looks so sheepish. And no, he doesn't. He, he just looks, of, he just he looks know, sort of like, like disgruntled. Okay, fine, fine. He fine. looks sheepish. He's also, I think yeah. he looks sheepish because this man is a lurch. He must be six foot eight. He's so tall. I don't mean lurch in a bad way. I mean, he's just a very big man. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just like looks down like he's like, oh, you'd pay that much for me? Like he kind of looks like uh, touched. You know, I don't agree with your retelling and of this, he, and you keep looking at me for he, support. <laughs> and he pulls out another wristwatch, or not a wristwatch, a pocket watch for him, and goes, "I got you for this." He pulls out a Tiffany's box. It's the Tiffany blue. It's a oh. beautiful box, and he hands it to him, and he opens it up, and inside there's another wooden box, and he opens it, and there's a beautiful silver wristwatch in there. Pocket watch. Pocket watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wristwatch is your wrist. Wristwatch is your wrist. I was like, I was like, of course, the wristwatch that you bring up to your wrist to look at. Yes. Pocket watch. Okay. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. I was great. I love that scene. Such a good scene. You know who else loves that scene? Is Roger Ebert, our favorite famed film critic. Does he now? Yeah. He was like, that's a great scene. Good. He said the movie was wonderful, and he called out that scene too because it is really good. What did he rate this movie? I don't know. Roger Ebert. Yeah. You said four stars out of four stars. And four stars. That's what he rated it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, I think, so I was doing a little bit of looking into like what's in this new cut versus what's in this old cut. Mm-hmm. And the new cut apparently has a lot more of Gregory Hines' character. Good. A lot. Apparently the old cut, which I can understand why people maybe didn't like it as much because this movie didn't do that well at the box office. Mm-hmm. Terrible. It was terrible. It was, terrible. It was, it was a lot more of the mafia bootlegging stuff and a lot less of the like performer, Ugh. the dancing, Gregory Hines, like that whole wow. uh, black art like plot line was a little more just not there. And terrible. the fact that Francis Ford Coppola like redid it and put that all back in, I imagine that this is me extrapolating a little bit, but also I, I kind of saw some stuff on it that the studio was like, we want more mob, less black people, mm-hmm. which is tough because that's cause kind of the best part of the movie. Idiots! They're yeah. like Coppola, Godfather. Yeah. You keep doing that. Yeah. Do that. Nothing else. And yeah. it's like else would be much better. Yeah. And it's the tap numbers are incredible. The singing is incredible. I mean, that's why I go to cabaret. It's like at some points we're just watching like a two three minute lovely like tap and dance number it's lovely it's awesome really good and you know what they're not doing christina that every modern musical seems to do they're not cutting a hundred times oh my the camera's just still yeah. maybe there's a cut or two like yeah. i'm not saying we're just stationary yeah. for three minutes yeah but it's like you can let's see their full body you can perform. see them dance you can see them move about the space in the stage it's not like let's close up on their face while they're doing these rigorous dance routines oh my god I'm I, looking at you Lynn manuel Miranda yeah it's because <laughs> and also Steven Spielberg a little see, I know I know it's I think 
it's just frustrating because again yeah. it, it's it just seems like now it's like you modern want, like, hollywood has no respect has for no dance. respect for dance modern hollywood has no respect for dance no respect for dance but I love the dancing in this movie, and I think it's it's well worth the watch. But Nicholas doesn't do any dancing. No, he his the closest he gets is he's sort of like he's scampering up to the edge of the stage at the <laughs> Cotton Club. He's like throwing coins on stage. He's he's always unhinged. being crazy, <laughs> unhinged, <laughs> unhinged, unhinged behavior. But it's more like he's playing Mad Dog here. Mm-hmm. Um, it to me it felt it's still. I don't know what how much of it is. Like me bringing the Nicolas Cage of like when he's on screen, I'm like, there's Nicolas Cage. And I'm <laughs> focusing on it. Uh-huh. It's having, it's making it hard for me to be like, is he in the character? Is he losing himself in the character? Mm-hmm. The way I can for like Richard Gere seems this Dwyer character versus I'm still a little bit like this is Nicolas Cage in this movie, yeah, rather than him being Mad Dog. But there, I still think he did um a great job, and I and I also don't know how much is his fault because I thought Coppola makes him pop up awkwardly a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where where NC is, it's a sex scene with his like new bride and they are pounding on the wall and making a lot of noise for the benefit of their family. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. It it's makes, like, why? And the family is kind of unfazed about it. It's completely unfazed about it. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And then later on there's another just like flash cut of Nicolas Cage's face in the middle of a scene. I couldn't even tell you when it is, but it's just like it's just <laughs> like he's he's flat flash cut to him for a second. His uncle loving nephew, he wants his face. I'm like I'm like it just it just it's really hard for me to tell. I'm like does he want to put his nephew in this movie? Mm-hmm. Or because it just feels like he doesn't know how to use him all the time. Yeah. Um, well, I will say, I think he's still young. Let's go back to he's still young in this. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I think he's he must be like 20. At, at most. At most. Diane Lane is still a teenager. He could have been. Diane Lane is a teenager? Yes. Yes. Which is very astonishing. God, yeah. she's incredible. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm, I'm <laughs> flummoxed. Uh, uh He's still 20, yeah. but he looks he like looks, he could be 28. He, he could be 30. Yeah. He, he's, <laughs> he's so muscly. He's so huge. He stomps around. Mm-hmm. He. But I do want to talk a little bit about how what Nicolas Cage like thinks about this movie for oh, himself. Oh, yeah. Tell me. He, so when he was doing this, he was supposed to be on it for three weeks. Cotton Club famously went over. Budget yeah. and this was another movie Coppola was making to like pay off his debts yeah. and again it goes over budget. Lots yeah. of problems happened with this film, which yeah. we'll get into a little bit. He later. had to just while we're saying about Coppola's pay is I read that he was paid four million dollars to uh, he was first supposed to write and then they were like okay can you please direct as well but they're getting over budget so at one point they're like we're not going to be able to pay you that four million and he's like okay I'm going to walk off set until you pay me in full yeah I and mean, he did classic, classic <laughs> Coppola uh, but he was only supposed to be on it for three weeks. Uh-huh. He ends up being in on set for six months, <gasps> which is an absurdly long amount of time. And he's in costume and he's in character and he's not going 
full method, but he's like trashing his trailer. Oh, no. He's like being a dick. He's oh, like no. do it and whatever. And this is him. He he reflects on this movie <laughs> in a Rolling Stones interview in 1999. And so this is a quote. And he goes, my name in Manhattan was really worth mud. I really made quite a little reputation for myself on that set, trying to live the part. And it took me years to get to a point where New Yorkers in the film industry would want to work with me again. I have to say, both my uncle and my father seemed amazingly patient with my shenanigans, so to speak, as an actor. And Richard Gere even told him, you got to cool it, buddy. You only got like three more movies in you if this is the way you go about it. And I think he does. I think at some point, every actor has to get go a little go a little too far yeah. and be a little crazy and I, love like, I would rather have him it. do it up top and reel it in yes then like later on be like I really gotta prove myself yeah. it seems like that's what he does it seems and I think like poor Leo now he's like nobody appreciated when I was a little boy freezing on Titanic so now I had to freeze my butt off in Revenant so <laughs> exactly. give me a little trophy exactly exactly. <laughs> and they should have given Leo a trophy a long they should have given him a trophy a long time ago so that he didn't have so to didn't fight have that to bear, fight that bear. <laughs> um, but I think it's also, I'm not I saying did. it's over. I'm not saying this is the last movie he does it on. I no. think we're about to enter the phase where he goes a little wild. Oh, boy. And then I think he kind of reins it in a little bit. As Which it is exciting. Like, on. this has still all been 1984. What a year what a for year Nicolas for Cage movies. Oh, yeah. And, and like, that pace. That's It is, I was, like, so in love with Richard Gere after watching this movie. Mm, and I was like, so oh, my gosh, this. have we picked the wrong podcast person? <laughs> but I... It keeps coming back to like why Nicolas Cage is a good candidate for greatest actor alive is that his filmography is so intense and like we're already seeing it does feel like he has a hero's journey for us to observe. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere has kind of been like seems like flawless from day one. From day one. Um, but he also did a lot more of like classical training before he got started whereas Nikki is more of a, a like a film biz teenager yeah. growing up yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I think, and I was looking at Richard Gere, and he he has gone on and had like such a life of social justice work, and he's a Buddhist, and he like has done a lot. Uh, talking about Tibet, and he he actually got, I think he got, I think it said he got banned from the Academy Awards for criticizing China's treatment of Tibet in in a speech or something wow. like that. So he's like a very, uh, very upstanding. Guy. I love Richard Gere here. I love. We love Richard Gere. Here. Even we- with his pencil mustache, oh my he gosh. still looks pretty you good. Were, you were trying to be like that pencil mustache is no good, and I, who famously am anti mustache, was like, I don't know. I'm feeling <laughs> it on the pencil stash this year. Everyone had a pencil. Everyone stash has in this a pencil movie. stash. White, black, didn't my matter. My issue actually with Nicolas Cage's pencil stash is that his eyebrows are so much like <laughs> thicker and stronger and darker. Than yeah. his pencil stash. I was like, they should have used a little more eyebrow pencil or something to darken it. Make oh, it match, yeah. I thought. But <laughs> <laughs> When your eyebrow's thicker than your mustache, you got a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. I got to say, I think it's hard to shave a pencil mustache because you need that straight oh my razor. God. Well, yeah, all their faces were totally crisp clean other yeah. than that perfect little perfect pencil Perfect little stash. pencil stash. So it's very menacing. I'd love I to think. have one for a movie at some point. It does, like you say, it's like I've got a sharp razor at home yeah, yeah is what yeah, the pencil stash says i'd need my barber to do it i would not be able to do it myself did i wrap up did you feel like you understood that i was saying like richard gear amazing lovely incredible but nicholas cage has been so devoted to cranking out films and being an actor and doing that work yeah. that it feels like it's more appropriate to oh yeah devote our attentions to him Absolutely. i guess that's more for me sometimes i have to comfort myself of like you don't have to be the perfect person 
to be at the everything at to be the best at maybe something. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's it's look. We're asking right now. We're not asking in 1984 was he the greatest actor alive. True, true. You know it's what I mean? It's 2022. We're just seeing, we got to get the full backstory yeah. to get there. Uh, this is also, let's put it down, this is the first movie where a Nicolas Cage character dies. <gasps> wow. It's oh, a yeah. great death. Oh, it's a great death. He's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> let, let me let me let me just yeah. recap it for us of he's he's in a phone booth and he's yelling on the phone and then they come in and they spray him with bullets and he goes my, my favorite was that he just goes oh oh <laughs> like that, that's what he says which i actually love i'm like the idea that it's kind of like a that felt more realistic of a death where you like make sort of embarrassing little squeaking noises uh-huh. rather than getting to have like a very manly primal scream going out. Yeah. Um, and then he he tilts out the window and he's got like candy that he was holding in his hands because they're yeah. at the they're at the like drugstore getting candy and it tumbles out of his hands into the blood pooling on the ground and his little wife comes over and she's crying and yeah. she loves him. And it's just like it's this whole movie I think does such a beautiful job of like each scene has like beautiful shots and then quick little stories and quick little mm-hmm. accounting um, in that scene of like his death. You get like he's just a child, mm-hmm. candy and blood. You get candy and blood that he and his wife has have actually been a really solid loving relationship through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. He's never wavered and neither has she. Mm-hmm. And you get like that he's trapped in this little phone booth. And absolutely gonna die a violent death, which oh, yeah. he does. Which I think I think it's just like when you do when you say a lot in a short amount of time, despite this being over a two hour film, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I I, I think this movie covers a lot of ground. I mean it it even covers like the racial disparity of passing. Like oh, of yeah. like there's a point where Gregory Hines takes um Lynette McKee to a hotel and they say no interracial couples Mm -hmm. and he's like she's black and then it's okay and I'm like well it's well because she's been she doesn't say she's black she's like they they have to get into it she has to go she says I think it's I don't remember which parent is if it's her father's Mm -hmm. black and her mother's white Mm mm-hmm but like her parents would not be allowed in that same establishment. Exactly. But because she's mixed. Yes. Now and, and the guy is like not that excited about it. Yes. Either. No. He's he's like freaking out and they're kissing. Yeah. I mean that guy was a that guy had like a pretty comic role where like yeah. he didn't see it first and then his glasses kind of fall onto yeah. his face and he's yeah. like, Whoa, yeah, yeah, <laughs> an yeah. interracial couple. Yeah. I'll be damned. There's um, a good job of like of putting in the comedic relief for yeah. scenes that are very heavy and stressful yeah. and, and tense. Yeah. But what I want to say about the racial tensions and that I feel like is the note um, throughout the movie, or I don't know, was something that I was thinking about and with these like interracial couples is like a lot of the violence of this movie and of this country is premised on othering groups and making minorities, very specific minorities. And you also have to make sure they don't mix because if they mix, they unify Mm-hmm. And then they can take over. The oppressed can unite and strike back against the mm-hmm. oppressor. And so when you very carefully police no interracial relationships, it's so you make sure that they're not forming those bonds, reaching outside of their groups, making they making can, more mixed children yeah. who then, then you have like, 
Irish Jewish descendants, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like how much of the power comes from segregation and how much of the tension and the love and the art comes from integration. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Good, good points. Something I was saying. Good about. points all around. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I want to get a little bit into the making of this film. I already hinted at it that it took Nicolas Cage, who was supposed to be three weeks on this film, six yeah. months. But this apparently was a nightmare to make. Yeah. It was made by, it was produced by Robert Evans, who also produced The Godfather. Mario Puzo's writing as well. So they were thinking, again, to go back to like, yeah. they wanted a mafioso movie. They're like, give us more Godfather. They give us more Godfather. You would expect the, the Holy Trinity got together, we'd may, we'd get another one. I love the idea of, of like, back, like now in the modern, in the late uh, 20, what do we call this? The 2020s? Uh, yeah, the 2020s. 2020s, but then the 2010s as well. Just like, that it's Marvel, that it's superhero, that it's like, you guys keep cranking out, give us these superhero movies. And in the 80s, they're like, more Godfather, more mafia gangsters. Stuff. Yeah. Keep Which is so out. funny because it's working. It's so funny in the movie because that's the only type of actor that uh Richard Gere Dixie can play. He's doing mafia movies. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm the mob boss, I'm an actor now, and like I'm only doing mafia movies. So it's almost like it's maybe commenting on oh, itself meta. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. A little meta there. But the Holy Trinity of these of the writing, producing, and directing team did not work out at all. There was no. so much tension between Robert Evans and yeah. Uh, Coppola in terms of like disagreements there was uh, troubles with like casino owners there was a Middle Eastern arms dealer situation going on I don't know if you know there was a murder there was a real life murder here who who got murdered Roy Radden one of the producers was murdered by Karen Greenberg another producer who hired three hitmen to kill him because she feared she was being cut out of a producer's role oh my yeah. gosh. There was... So this is probably why Nicolas Cage was like, it's not a big deal if I trash my trailer. Other, The producers are murdering each other. <laughs> well, it took... <laughs> I mean, a good point. I think it took quite a while for them to catch who who did it. Okay. I think it took about eight years. But I'm like, oh my God. Imagine being on a set where like your producers are getting murdered. Like, that that's crazy. crazy. It was not even like, it's not even like someone died. It's like they were taken out by hitmen. They were murdered. Yeah, like a mob, like in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Life imitates art, you know, that's what I'm going to say. Oh my gosh. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Um, But yeah, this production was, and you mentioned, you know, Coppola walking, there's just so many disagreements. Eventually there was like a full... uh, I saw that it was five years from start start to finish. finish. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I mean, at some point, Stallone was going to be the original yeah. choice for Richard Gere. And Harrison Ford was going to be... Um, I thought Harrison Ford was going to be... As well. So Stallone Gear. was going to be D- okay. Dixie uh, initially. And Ford and was going to be Vinny? Nicholas Cage's role? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I didn't see anything about Harrison Ford. But I know that... Uh, oh, this says, this says Al Pacino, Sylvester Stallone, and Harrison Ford were, were, all, up, were all for up for, up for Dixie. Dixie. Okay. There you go. Um, not I thought I had read that as like that was the alternate cast and oh, I was like wow that's what crazy a cast. but, but yeah. I love our cast I love yeah. it. Stallone uh, backed out after the producer Robert Evans who seemed to cause a lot of trouble slept with his girlfriend and then that was when Stallone was like I'm not Stallone's doing like, it Stallone's like I'm out <laughs> <laughs> like you sleep with my girlfriend hey I'm out of the movie all right oh my god yeah. So a lot of drama, a lot of drama on these sets. Yeah, you want to wrap it up? I, I 
The only things that we've left out is that I wanted to give a shout out to one of the, um, I don't know what to call it. Sickest burns doesn't feel right, but when you find your man cheating and you want to say something to the gal, a cool thing to say is, I'll give you five reasons you should close your legs and go home. And then you reach out with your five fingers and you try to strangle her. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was very impressed by. And that, yeah. that sort of kicks off another amazing scene in the movie where Vera shows that she is one of the toughest She's gals so in show business. Tough. The Dutchman literally rips an earring off her earlobe. Her earlobe is openly bleeding. <laughs> Um, and she's still like, no, I'm not going with you. Forget this. And then when the Dutchman is going to try to shoot Richard Gere, um, that's when that's when Gregory, Gregory Hines comes he, out of the middle of his number she's performing on stage, <laughs> delivers a flying kick to disarm the Dutchman, <laughs> and then goes back to perform a, the next number. Let me it's tell you, it's so good. They do not miss a beat. It's so at the good. Cotton Club, there are fights breaking out. People are screaming. And if you ever look, the performers. Full professionals. They do not stop performing, and they're always on point, doing a great job. So good. the show must go on at the so club. good. So those performances are great. We can consider the performances now of Nicolas Cage and of the film overall. Well, I want to say, does, do place does a place like this exist now where I can go and watch without like the racial disparity? No, where no, I can go and watch some good dance and maybe a couple of songs and have some dinner and maybe a drink. Well, here's my thing. Here's my thing. It's like, it's like, yes and no. Yes and no. We can find those things. We can find a place for you to enjoy, like, like, uh, less open racism and have dinner and a show. Like, I'd love dinner we, we and a show. To, we went to Black Rabbit Rose was kind of, oh, was magic, very fun. Yeah. Magic. But I'm just saying those things exist. But I think, uh, if the Cotton Club exists today, it is still for like the elite criminals of the world. Oh, I it's see. gonna be a place you and I are not gonna be able to get into and not gonna be able to afford to stay. And it is absolutely gonna be built on systematic racism Damn. and inequality. What if what if I open a place? Oh yeah, how much will that cost to run? You're gonna be you're gonna be like hemorrhaging cash the way the Cotton Club movie was. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be impossible. All right. Well, maybe later on when I'm when I'm Coppola's age now, and I got a lot of money and I have my vineyard. Wait, I'm sorry, Coppola, who very famously went through multiple bankruptcies and was constantly he struggling. Out. He figured things out. I mean, this he was, did. This he did. My... He spent his own five hundred grand exactly. to re- redo the movie for. Lionsgate. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think there's a market for a non-racist cotton club establishment. Awesome. Awesome. Investors, reach out Investors, to us. Investors, reach out reach to, out to me. It's cageoldquestionpod at gmail.com. <laughs> if you're looking to invest big, we can we can help you out here with the ideas. Lord have mercy. But let's get into the ratings, Steve. Okay. What'd you I, think of? I love this movie. I love this movie. Five out of five stars. Wow. I I I love this movie. I'm like I said, a begging <laughs> criterion to add it so I can get that <laughs> sweet, sweet DVD and keep watching it. Um Nikki, I would say I would say seven point five. I think I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm feeling worse and worse about my <laughs> my ratings of Nicolas Cage, where I'm like, well, you hated him last week and you gave him a seven. I know. That's where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job with the ratings. I need to rescale them once I've 
seen other things? Fair. From what I've heard from our listeners, they are always shocked by your ratings. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't know what to do. But in my heart, it says seven, seven and a half. Okay, great. How about you? How about you? You want me to ask? (laughs) I'm sorry. How about you, Artu? What did you think? Here's what I'll say. I think Nicolas Cage does a great job. But if you ask, like, what's memorable about this movie, he falls so low on the list for Mm -hmm. me. And I don't know if that's necessarily his fault. I think that's just the way the movie is and Mm -hmm. that he's, like, 17th banana on the call sheet. (laughs) Um, But I think, yeah, I think a solid 7 out of 10. I think he does a great job, but I also think uh, there's not much there. It's hard to get a 10 out of 10 on a a small role like that. Um, I think he does a great job. Maybe an eight, but a seven. Yeah. Right, I, right around it's there. It's one of those movies where I was like, he's mostly good looking. Yeah, yeah. And he does that, he, look, he does that crazy laugh. And for that alone, I could bump it up to an eight. <gasps> wow. Because I love when he when he crazy, he's like, eyes wide open laughing. He's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, as for the movie, I think for me, I liked it. I think I could give it a five, but with the advertisements, I just couldn't get as into it. I'm going to give it a 4.5. It was just a little much. It just took too long to watch this movie. I lost a little steam. It killed me. We were watching with advertisements. Again, this is the only way we could watch it. And sometimes 11 advertisements would be. It's a one of 11 in between scenes. And I'm like, this is not fair. I'd be all happy. I'd be like, yay, it's time for you and me to talk. And you'd be like, oh! Well... Well, now you know how we feel about the movie, and we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at on Twitter, on Instagram, at CageOldQuestion. You can send any emails to us, CageOldQuestionPod at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast, and feel free to throw a five-star review our way. For our next episode, we are watching the 1984 film Birdie. We hope you'll watch with us and listen in. Signing off, this is Christina. And our two Nazareth. Asking you... The cage old question. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'd like to take his his face off. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny. <laughs> <laughs>